Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, bold solutions, and a renewed sense of meaning and purpose in their efforts to advance patient-centered, customer-oriented, value-based healthcare. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization that I may be affiliated with. Folks, uh, our focus today is uh, how the AMA, the American Medical Association, is working to create uh, a new healthcare, and I mean literally creating a new healthcare. We'll be discussing a number of uh, major initiatives underway at the AMA having to do with digital health and practice redesign transformations in medical school education, and uh, we might also get a chance to talk about the critically important issue of physician burnout and resilience. And I have a, I have a, uh, a sense that there'll be other topics that'll emerge as we uh, speak today with our guests. And to really bring us up to speed with what the American Medical Association has been doing and where it's going, we are incredibly fortunate uh, to have an impressive leader on the show today, Dr. Barbara McEnany, the president-elect of the American Medical Association. Uh, Dr. McEnany is a board-certified medical oncologist, hematologist from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and was elected president-elect of the AMA in June of 2017. Um, she has served on the AMA Board of Trustees since 2010, including as its chair in 2015 and 16. She's been a uh, member of the Board of Directors of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, uh, president of the New Mexico Medical Society, president of the Greater Albuquerque Medical Association, and president of the New Mexico chapter of the American College of Physicians. In 2012, uh, Dr. McEnany received a $19.8 million award from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation to test how oncology private practices could provide cancer patients uh, better care at a lower cost. This award, called Come Home for Community Oncology Medical Home, later helped form Medicare's oncology care model. Uh, among other uh, numerous volunteer activities, she served on the governor of New Mexico's task force on prenatal care, the board of Planned Parenthood of New Mexico, and as chair of the joint task force of uh, the uh, New Mexico Medical Society and the New Mexico Bar Association on Domestic Violence. Uh, Dr. McEnany is a recipient of the New Mexico Women on the Move Award in 2005 and Woman of Influence Award in 2009. She has been voted several times by her peers as Albuquerque, the magazine's top doc in her specialty. Um, it is really a privilege to have Dr. McEnany on this uh, show today, and I just want to welcome you. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. It's a great honor to be asked to participate. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I know I just want to let the listeners know, I know you've been uh, suffering with a little bit of laryngitis and and uh, really wanted to do this show. So I just want to thank you for doing that and, and uh, for toughing through it. Well, I appreciate it. And hopefully people will forgive the gravelly voice. <laughs> I, I think they will. Um, so uh, especially once they hear uh, what you and the AMA have been doing. So before we jump into some of the really exciting developments that have been going on in the AMA over the past uh, few years, could you just step back for a second and just tell us a little bit about the AMA for those of us who may not be as familiar with the organization? When did it start? What's its overall mission and purpose? Who does it represent? And and how is it? You know, how does it fit into the sort of larger ecosystem, the stakeholders and contributors to the current dialogue that's shaping healthcare? The AMA was founded in 1847 
as the first organization of physicians. Our, our job is to promote the art and science of medicine and the betterment of public health. To us, that means that we reflect the needs of patients as described by physicians. We advocate for people to have access to good quality health care, and we provide the tools and mechanisms by which physicians can do a better job managing their patients. We advocate for patients and physicians at the state and the national level. We work with regulatory agencies, the government, private health plans, and everywhere we're needed to help advance the mission of physicians across the country to take better care of patients. Thank you. That, that's really helpful. And, you know, as I was doing some of the research for, for this conversation with you and the background reading, um, you, you know, I came across the, the uh, principles, sort of these key principles and uh, for the AMA, as well as the three pillars that um, you all chose uh, as the most critical issues to work on uh, being improved, uh, as I understand it, improving health outcomes, uh, the medical school of the future, and uh, physician satisfaction. And so I'm just wondering, you know, again, before we dive into what you all have been doing, why why did you choose these as your most important um, uh, critical issues, as you as as is written to to focus on? What what, what was what do you see the problem in healthcare being that uh, the AMA is trying to solve? Well, first of all, patients, the people of the country, and sooner or later we are all patients, want not healthcare but better health. So what they want is better health outcomes. And so we elected that strategic pillar as a way also to make a difference for the patients of the country and also to impact favorably how much money we're spending on healthcare. In this country, 90% of the healthcare spend is on chronic diseases. So we figured the best way to cut down the, the amount of money our country is spending by making people healthier so that they don't need as much health care. That's the best way to save money, is by keeping people healthier. So we elected to look at diabetes, prediabetes, and hypertension, because those are the issues that lead with obesity to a huge amount of disability and even death from heart disease, stroke, and multiple other problems. So we decided to tackle that one, and I'll talk more about that later. Then to deliver health care in this country, that means that you have to have sustainable practices. You have to have physicians who have the infrastructure they need to provide that health care. And that means that you need to have practice sustainability, which led us in some degree to all of the issues that are plaguing physicians, from electronic health records that are frustrating, to burnout, to overriding administrative duties that get in the way of patient care. And this was what we heard from our members, was a major problem. And then a lot of our membership is students. You'll remember that the AMA commissioned the Flexner Report in the early 1900s and transformed medical education from a system of 
of being an apprentice until you felt you were ready to be a doctor to an organized structure whereby we could ensure that physicians were properly trained. We figured that it's been over 100 years. It's time to look at that again and to help the medical schools of the country change what they do so that we can produce doctors who are well-trained and well-equipped to practice medicine in the 21st century and beyond. That's really that's so impressive. I, I um, it, you know, even before you mentioned the Flexner, uh, you know, period uh, in the early 1900s, which was a, you know, the major inflection in medical education and in the type of physicians and uh, sort of, you know, regulating physicians and assuring that that they were really practicing scientific based medicine. Um, I actually was thinking this sounds like we're kind of in that moment a major inflection. Um, and so is it, is it what you said uh, a moment ago, what's driving, what would you say in your own words, what is the, the major inflection? And, and, you know, I don't want to beg the question, but I, I was actually quite impressed um, and appreciated so much when you talked about improving health and health outcomes, not necessarily focusing on health care, health care, because people are interested in health. Ultimately, um, the healthcare is just a, a way to get there. That's a major, seems to me to be a major inflection. And I just, what, what led to the AMA making that shift from healthcare to health? I, I think that's incredibly impressive. Well, again, we looked at the fact that we are spending in this country over $3 trillion a year on healthcare. Yet when you compare how we have outcomes compared to the other industrialized nations of the earth, we do not do so well. We rank 19th in health outcomes, and we rank 42nd in longevity in our how long we all live. Those are not acceptable outcomes. And when we looked at why those outcomes are not as good as they ought to be, and the fact that our healthcare system spending all this money is simply not sustainable, we felt that as the representative of America's physicians, we had to do something. You know, we can't continue to have the raise of healthcare spending until we consume everything else. We need money left in the country for roads and schools and parks and the environment and everything else. So we said, how can we, as the doctors of America, make the greatest impact? And if you want to cut healthcare spending, you could cut everybody's pay, or you could ration healthcare, or you could decrease the need for healthcare and deliver better quality healthcare and avoid unnecessary care or make some care unneeded. So we chose to focus on that latter. And we recognized that having good health is not something that a physician hands to a patient. It is a collaboration between the patients and their lifestyle and their family and their community and their physician. So we started working on the healthy communities idea. And because so many Americans are pre-diabetic, with some lifestyle changes, they could reverse that and stay healthier for more of their life. 
we realized that the AMA needed partnerships, and we created partnerships from the American Heart Association to the YMCA to multiple other organizations so that doctors would have the tools they need to help patients make the lifestyle changes that are going to make a difference in health outcomes. We obviously continue to be interested in making sure that the delivery of health care is available to all Americans. I don't want to say we're just focusing on preventing those diseases, but we made that one of our major pushes. You know, to, to deliver good quality health care does require an infrastructure of doctors, nurses, and a lot of allied health professionals all working together to achieve those goals. So we focus on both of those topics. And together, we figure that will help improve the health outcomes for the patients we serve. And so you, you, I, I want to jump into the, if it's okay with you, the, the, some of the digital health work that you're doing. Is that okay? Or would you rather focus on the chronic disease at this point? No, I think the digital health uh, innovations that we're doing are fascinating and, and really are reflective of a wave of how the future will be. So you, you've, you've, from the reading I've done, and I have to say, um, at one of your national meetings recently, I think it was this past November, uh, your past president uh, remarked that um, this is no longer your grandfather's AMA, and it's not even your father's or mother's AMA. Um, this is really a new AMA with this, and, 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 and discussing this innovation ecosystem that is part of your part of your pillar for improving health outcomes. Um, and, you know, in looking at the, I mean, I have to say, I, I listed all the groundbreaking, innovative dish tech work you're doing. And if you don't mind, can I just go through a, a quick list and you could pick something to talk about? Because it's just every one of them is exciting. It, let me just read. They are exciting. Aren't they? I mean, let me just read this for the, for the listeners. And I, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder, but it's just so I, I was really, really, really excited by, by reading what's going on in the AMA. So the AMA is partnering with Matter in Chicago, a health tech incubator. It's a founding partner of Health 2047 in San Francisco, an independent for-profit innovation lab. Uh, out of that, it recently announced a groundbreaking healthcare data transfer protocol called Akira. It's also spun off another company called Switch, which is a, a subscriber network that enables secure permissions-based sharing of health data between patients, physicians, payers, and others. And you're doing that with or working with Intel and GE. You host a physician innovation network, which essentially is a digital matchmaking website that helps connect physicians with uh, tech entrepreneurs, which is really, really uh, a breakthrough idea. You're a co-founder of, of Exertia, a collaborative effort to establish and promote best practices for mobile health apps. You've been working in partnership with Omada Health, which is one of the hottest startups in healthcare, and Intermountain, one of the best healthcare systems in the country, if not in the world, to develop an approach to uh, online behavior change uh, focused on interventions that reduce the risk of prediabetes and diabetes and integrated in, into the, integrating that into the clinical workflow. You've teamed up with Accenture to better understand physician awareness uh, and behavior around cybersecurity and HIPAA compliance. You're partnering with the Partner Center for Connected, Connected Health in Boston to explore barriers and levers for physicians and other providers to adopt digital health tools. You're working with the Scripps Institute for Translational Science and Jackson Laboratories to develop world-class education models on precision medicine. 
You uh, just announced a new partnership to remotely deliver physician specialists and consult services to the underserved communities. And I think that project is called the Human Diagnosis Project. You know, the list goes on. I mean, I, I, I could read another page of this. Um, where did this all come from? This is not the AMA I knew when I was coming uh, as a young attending or a medical student. Um, it's just absolutely brilliant. I mean, I, you can hear how excited I am about it. You must be excited about it. Um, which one of these should we focus on? I'm I'm thrilled about this innovation network and, and ecosystem. So this came about because we listened to the physicians being frustrated with the quality of the digital tools we were handed. We were handed electronic health records that evolved out of billing software. We were handed apps that did not correlate with the data that we want. We have huge quantities of data coming into our lives, but no mechanism to sort through and find that kernel of real information that is what we need to be able to take care of a patient. So the AMA realized that we had to work on many fronts to deal with these issues. Imagine what electronic health records could have been if they had involved physicians from the beginning and said, what do you need to better manage a patient? What information do you need? And I think this is absolutely essential as we enter the era of personalized medicine, where we are all going to drown in data from genomics, from lifestyle, from the medications that patients are taking and how they interact. We're going to need some decision support processes to help us manage patients real time at the point of care. And it will be different for different doctors in different specialties. That's the strong suit of the AMA, is we do our best work where the interfaces of various specialties are or the cross-cutting needs that are affected by all specialties. One of my favorite projects is the Integrated Health, Me Health Model Initiative. So to, to back up a little bit, the days of us being able just to announce to patients and payers and others that we deliver quality medicine, those days are gone. We need to be able to prove the quality of care that we give. And the best way to do that, again, is to look at patient outcomes. But we all know that patient outcomes are as affected by the zip code as they are sometimes by the health care that we deliver. The social determinants of health are enormous in their impact. We're seeing this now as we watch Medicare look at the star ratings for hospitals and hospitals who care for uh, socially disadvantaged, poorer patients with lower health literacy, less access to resources, have worse outcomes than people, hospitals that serve really well-educated, affluent populations. It's, and we should not penalize physicians who are working in those hospitals or the hospitals themselves for taking care of the more disadvantaged Americans in our country. So we need a coding system that will create a way to measure 
the social determinants of health so that when I'm trying to take care of a patient and you're trying to take care of a patient, we can really determine the factors that affect the outcome of the health care of that patient. So that's one of the things that the Health Model Initiative is doing. The other thing is working on true interoperability. The technical part of interoperability is not the major problem. The major problem is that the electronic health record vendors, big hospital systems, payers don't really want free interoperability. If your health records are trapped in a given hospital, then you're trapped in that hospital and you won't leave to go across town to someone else. But the AMA, reflecting the wishes of physicians, know that physicians want to get information on their patients from every source. So really only the AMA is the organization that can really focus on developing an interoperable system. And then the problems derive, especially as you look at all of the health apps that are out there, to say floods of data come into your system. For example, if 10,000 blood pressure readings roar into my electronic health record every day, how will I ever sort through all that data to find which patient needs me to intervene? So what the Integrated Health Model Initiative is trying to do is to figure out what data is important to the physician who's taking care of the patient. How do we sort through it? How do we organize it? How do we pull it from all sources so we can deliver it to patients and to doctors at the point of care where it is most useful? To me, this will be a major breakthrough if the AMA succeeds in this moonshot attempt to revise how healthcare is done, I think we will have made a major contribution to the healthcare of patients and the health of patients. And when patients are healthy and doing well, doctors are much happier. Mm-hmm. That's that's really well said. Um, it it um, I. I, I, I had seen that uh, integrated health model initiative written up uh, a number of places, and I, but I hadn't realized that one of the areas of focus was on uh, being able to identify and recognize and account for uh, the impact that the social determinants of health uh, have um, on, um, on, you know, on, on the challenge of actually delivering health and better health outcomes. So I, I think that's a really brilliant move, and I applaud you for including that in this, uh, in this initiative. Um, and, and I understand too that you're. you're I think what's what, what's really um, appealing about a lot of the work you're doing in in this uh, digital space and in this highly innovative space, this ecosystem of innovation you're you're creating, is the uh, is the broad partnerships you're establishing. I, I was really really impressed with that. The the names of the organizations, like for instance, this one you're working uh, with the on the integrated health model. Uh, you're working, as I understand it, with IBM Watson, uh, Intermountain again. Uh, even I, I believe you're working with one of the large um, uh, uh, medical record uh, companies in this uh, EMR companies in, in the country. You're working again with the American Heart Association. What is this? A, a, a again another inflection for the AMA that you've almost become a convener of sorts. 
That is exactly the word I would use to describe a lot of what we do. We recognize that physicians generally don't know how to write software code and that software engineers don't generally know how to be physicians. So a lot of our projects, a lot of these companies, we are trying to develop with the freedom to link the physicians, the software engineers, the health economists, other people who have innovative ideas, and find out what kind of products and services we can provide. So it really is of a much greater role in the delivery of healthcare than any one organization has ever done before. I am incredibly proud of the work that the AMA is doing. And I think that as more physicians recognize the impact that we're going to be able to have on their lives by making the flow of information useful instead of something that drowns them, uh, that will be a major accomplishment. Do you have, I, you know, I'm, I'm torn here because I, I, I'd like to ask you more questions about the specifics about some of the uh, innovation partnerships or projects you're working on in terms of, you know, again, chronic disease management and, and, and sort of looking for a story about that. At the same time, I, I want to move on to the, the medical education, the transforming medical education part too, before your voice gives out. So maybe um, is there... Um, is there something that comes to mind that is sort of a burning story about some of one of your partnerships? And I think that the health model is a great example of that one. But anything else you want to mention before we move on to the next topic? Well, I think I would like to talk about what we're doing with medical education. Let's do that then. Yes, because I think that is very important. So physicians, when they graduate from their residencies and fellowships, often don't know how to use an electronic health record. They don't, they're not taught how the healthcare system works. They are taught to be competitive and try to be the best in their class. And then they get out into the real world and we say, now you're part of a team. But we never taught anybody how to be part of a team. We have a lot of our training in hospitals. Yet most of healthcare, 85% of healthcare, occurs out of hospitals. And one of the things that interfaces with our improving health outcomes is we want to train the doctors of tomorrow how to keep people healthy and not have them be in hospitals because they're better off if they're not. So we are working, we started out with 11 medical schools and we offered a grant of a million dollars to each of those medical schools and wanted to hear their ideas about what they would do to transform medical education and bring it more into the 21st century. So now we've expanded to a 32 medical school consortium where we can reach about a quarter of the MD and DO students in training and be able to provide them with an education that will help them better be able to function in the healthcare delivery system. The delivery system is very complicated, and or you might even call it a non-system. And so young physicians who come out, join my practice, join other practices, have no idea how to get the things done that need to be done. 
how to get a patient's medications paid for by their insurer. How, what, what are the laws that govern how we practice medicine? We have not done in the past a great job at teaching our young people this. We feel that this is a place where the AMA can step in and teach people about health system science and how the system works so that they can help their patients get what they need out of that system. And hopefully not just live with this sort of crazy dysfunctional system we have right now, but by learning how this system works and seeing where it breaks down, the physicians of the of tomorrow can work with us in the AMA to help create a system that actually works for patients and for doctors. Do you have uh, an example of a project that one of the medical schools has worked on or, or created to give an example of, of something that this uh, consortium is producing and changing? Yeah, there's there's several advan- several um, examples I'd like to toss out. One is the competency-based progression. Rather than assuming everyone needs four years to learn the various things, but Oregon Health Science is working on how do you know when a young physician in training is competent and you can move them on to the next step and when do they need a little more work? We're looking with Penn State. They start working in the healthcare system from day one of medical school. The University of Michigan has a physician leadership project. We need physicians to be able and willing and prepared to step up and take the role in designing healthcare. And so if we want them to do that, it makes sense to teach them that. The East Carolina University is focusing heavily on team care skills and Indiana University is really working on a lot of the technology. Um, for example, they're working with the Regenstrife Institute, I hope I said that correctly, um, to learn how to use an electronic record because when physicians leave their mother institution and go out into the world, there's a variety of EHRs out there that they might have to learn how to use. And being able to use, use those tools efficiently would help physicians avoid medical errors, provide information to their patients, and hopefully if we can make it an efficient medical record, hopefully avoid the burnout that the current medical records are creating among our physicians. That's great. I, I, I can see how this is the same sort of um inflection as the Flexner, you know, time was, uh, you're really kind of re-examining, uh, you know, and sort of reframing what the physician of the present and future needs to be and beginning to change, uh, you know, the, the education. Do you, do you have, if you had to, um, sum up, uh, what, what the physician of the skill set that the physician of the future would have in a, in a few words and, you know, just kind of, you know, throw them out there. What 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 would be some of the skills that uh, you would say are, are critically important that that are being created in these curriculum? I think that where we are most lacking in current curriculum is in management skills. 
And it doesn't matter whether you're going to be in an academic department or a private practice or a community hospital. You will be managing people and you'll probably be managing resources. And to not have our doctors prepared to understand what a budget is, what the resources that are available in a community are, how to best deploy that for maximum effect, then we're, we're handicapping physicians. We need to have them know these skills to advance in every facet of the medical profession. So I think teaching management skills right alongside with the medical knowledge they need is going to be crucial. You know, I'm a little biased about this one topic, and I, I think that's, I, I completely agree with the management part, it, and it, it goes along with the team-based skills and the, you know, the, the, you know, that, the leadership that's required. Um, one of the, one of the institutions, one of the medical schools, medical centers you worked with, uh, have come up with, well, one came up with a curriculum, a new population medicine program so that the students can actually get a, a master's in population medicine. And I believe an, another uh, one that came up with a, a new textbook, uh, a health systems uh, textbook, um, which focused on quality and some of the things you were talking about, teamwork and team science and leadership and informatics and population health again and social determinants of health. And, and so it, it really, it, it seems like there's a new body of knowledge that you're introducing or this, this, this consortium is introducing uh, through the, the uh, participating institutions. And so I'm just wondering, what is, you know, what do you, what do you think about the population health part of it? And, and how do you see that as being important for the new physician? Well, I sort of look at this as being in the same place as when I started out training in oncology in the 1980s. It was just in its infancy. The health system science of understanding what populations need, what the constraints on them are, is the necessary infrastructure that's going to lead us into creating a new healthcare delivery system that gets the right care to the right patient at the lowest cost side of service so that the outcomes are better and affordable. If you are simply trained in how to treat breast cancer or endocarditis or screen for diabetes, but you don't understand what your patient is going through in terms of what's happening in their life, in their community, are they able to safely get out and walk around their neighborhood for exercise or not, then you are only seeing a tiny bit of the picture. So I look at population health as a way for physicians to broaden our horizons past the patient in the exam room to seeing that patient as a real person living in a real community with a real family with real problems. And then we can learn that patients' problems are not unique. They are system-wide problems. And that we, if we're going to address the root causes of some of the, the diseases that we see, we're going to have to step past that. It's sort of the public health part of our mission. You know, when, when people were looking for cholera, you didn't want to just treat the cholera. You wanted to learn that it was contaminated water that caused the cholera. And the public health physicians of that era figured out that if they were going to stop this disease, they had to clean up the water supply. 
I look at this as being similar. As we look at health system science, and we look at what our system is doing to our patients instead of for our patients, we need to understand these processes and be able to be able to envision changes so that we can make the entire system work better. To me, that's what population health means. That, that is one of the best uh, explanations I've heard of population health. I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow that in the future. Uh, so thank you for uh, for explaining it in that way. Feel free, just. Let me, you, <laughs> let me uh, let me ask you a, a sort of tough question about this. There is, as I'm listening to you, the um, the issue. Well, let me let me phrase it this way: There's a lot of change going on in healthcare today, and um, it's dizzying. And um, you know, and you and I both, I'm sure, agree that you know physicians want to do the right thing for their patients, and um, and are trying their best and are incredibly committed and hardworking and passionate about the work they do and, you know, have put so much, so many years into becoming knowledgeable and skilled. What, what do you think about the topic? Uh, what is that physicians as they, as they take on these, these new skills? Uh, first of all, how are physicians who are way out of training going to catch up? Uh, number one, number two, what, do you think physicians have to let go of, if anything, if they're going to move into the future? Um, you, you can't take on a lot of new stuff and not let go of something. So something has to has to be given up, and um, and that's probably that's true of all the stakeholders, the payers, the hospital systems. But I'm asking you about uh, about doctors in particular. So let's start with there. What what do, what do you you know? How are doctors going to catch up who are out of medical school, and um, and, and what do they have to give up? Well, I can tell you exactly what I want doctors to give up. And that is the huge administrative burden that is layered on top of everything that we do. We know that the average primary care physician spends three work weeks a year doing prior authorizations to get other people paid, imaging paid, specialty referrals paid, drugs paid, to use our most highly trained personnel to fill out forms and do prior authorizations and be data entry clerks is incredibly useless in terms of using our, our, again, our most highly trained personnel in the way that makes the best use of their talents. We estimate, we know that, we know, we did a study with Mayo that for every hour a doctor gets to spend examining talking to, operating on a patient. They spend two hours operating on a computer. There has to be a better way, and we cannot afford to have physicians spending their time doing that. In no other industry do you have your most highly trained person being a data entry clerk. So that's the first thing that I want physicians to give up, is a lot of the the meaningless busy work. Secondly, I want physicians to be able to give up the current processes that we go through to demonstrate our quality. We need to have an electronic way that gives a good indication of of quality by extracting data from the EMRs that hopefully we and other people entered, but in a very easy way so that we can prove what we're doing without you know, making physicians spend hours every evening 
putting data into computers. We are working at the AMA with a lot of EMR vendors to try to say, can't you make this thing less of a billing machine and more of a precise tool that gives us the data we need when we need it? We're working with a bunch of insurance companies and other entities to say prior authorization is really a blunt instrument to use to try to curb costs. There are old studies that show that the amount of effort needed to do the prior authorization basically covers the costs of doing the prior authorization. So we need to move away from that. I had a health plan tell me, we looked at how often we do your prior authorizations and we never turn your practice down. You always get what you want. And so I asked them, so why are you torturing us with this? Why can't we find a better way to be able to get patients what they need in a timely manner? So the other thing I want physicians to give up is that. And then physicians spend a huge amount of time and effort trying to stay current. And the AMA is a big supporter of a learning process that comes from when you enter medical school until you retire. So we want to be able to use through our JAMA network and all of our continuing medical education processes to put this in one easy platform so that physicians can easily find the information that they need. If you look at other industries, people go on their smartphones and they will go on their computers and the information is instantly at your fingertips. Healthcare is lagging behind. Uh, doctors need information systems that work. I want physicians to give up our current systems of maintenance of certification because it does not reflect how we practice. You know, I don't practice oncology by memorizing a bunch of statistics and my patients don't come in with a multiple choice question tattooed on their chest. You know, patients come in with a bunch of symptoms and when I need more information, I call trusted colleagues in other specialties, we consult references, we look things up on various trusted websites, we, we do on-site rapid learning to help each patient in front of us. The old-fashioned high-risk test that physicians have to take time out of their practice to go study for is an anachronism, and it needs to be replaced by something that better reflects what physicians are currently doing to stay current. Yeah, you know, I've had the uh, opportunity and privilege to talk to Dr. Richard Barron, who's the uh, uh, CEO and president of the American Board of Internal Medicine. I think he's um, he's a very forward-thinking physician leader. I think he's looking at uh, alternative ways to uh, both appreciate, recognize, and you know, assure everyone that uh, helping physicians stay you know up to speed. And, and uh, so, I, I think there's some agreement there. Um, let me let me you know move on. I know we're we're you're, you're, you've been such uh, so gracious and such a trooper in terms of of you know uh, talking through your your laryngitis. So I want to kind of uh, bring us to some other questions if it's okay with you. Um, 
One of the uh, let me just say this. One of the remarkable things, as I as I you know, kind of read through your bio um, and looked at some of the work you've done, I've just been so impressed with uh, your commitment, not just to your practice uh, clearly and your patience, which is which is very very clear, but also to your community and you know your leadership service and your community service. And I, I guess I'm just wondering what what drove you to do that? I mean, you could have been incredibly successful just focusing on your own practice, uh, and you are. But um, what, what made you really go out? And I mean, just so many instances of, uh, and, and efforts you put into really helping your local community, uh, as well as your state, and of course, now the country. And, and I think the ramifications for what you're doing with the AMA now are, are global. So what drove you to do that? I remember very early in my career, I had just completed a consultation on a 45-year-old guy who presented with metastatic lung cancer. And I was back in the doctor's lounge. They had them back then. And I was ranting about the fact that tobacco is sold. It's a product that when you use it according to the directions, it can kill people. And I was ranting about why on earth do we allow a product to be sold that kills people. And a urologist of the time, who I didn't know was the state medical society president, but he was, came up to me and said, are you just going to sit there and complain, or do you want to do something about it? And I said, I'm one doctor. What can I do? And he said, well, there's a, there's a committee through the state medical society that's working on tobacco as an issue. And I'm assigning you to that committee. And I went and I met with people from all specialties, pulmonologists, public health, cardiologists, oncologists, you know, obstetricians worried about low birth weight babies, everything that tobacco affects. And we decided that we would work one town at a time on a clean indoor air act. And we finally got a statewide clean indoor air act passed. It took 10 years. But in that process, I learned that when physicians work together for the good of their patients, that we are a force to be contended with. It is hard for anyone to stand up in opposition to us when we are advocating for better health for our patients. And I learned that organized medicine is an incredible piece of machinery that allows physicians to have the skills and the resources and the lobbying ability and whatever it takes to make a change that will affect patients more than just one at a time. So I realize that it's very gratifying to take care of patients one at a time, but it is also very gratifying to work for the root causes of the problems that our patients are facing. And organized medicine at all levels is an incredible way to make an important change. Plus, I'm having the time of my life doing it. <laughs> it, it sounds it. Um, you know, one of the things you, I think your your CEO, uh, Dr. Madara, uh, said in, in one of his speeches was that You've got the AMA has such a great mission. You've got great leadership. You've got great constituents, as you're saying, and 
and you really have to get the message out there. That's the challenge now. And I'm, I have to tell you, I am uh, so enthralled and so impressed with you and with what the AMA has been doing. Um, and and I'll, I'll, I'll just admit to you, I wasn't aware of it before I really dove into it, before we had a chance uh, to email back and forth and, um, and for me to do some of this background research. And so um, I'm, I'm hoping that, um, you know, this message gets out there and helps, helps you get your message out there because it's, uh, uh, it's a great story. It's a great mission. And you are a great example of, uh, uh, of leadership and mentorship for what other, you know, physicians should and might aspire to. So, uh, so I'm just incredibly uh, grateful for you. And I just want to express my appreciation for what you're doing. Well, thank you. But I think actually Dr. Madera deserves a lot of the credit. Oh, he's been with us now for since 2010, I believe. And we previously would be pushed in a multitude of directions depending on what was going on at the moment. And we still will have to react to whatever political event is occurring. But to focus is into these three strategic arcs and, and re to recognize that we cannot do this without partnerships was really an incredible insight that Dr. Madera brought to the AMA. And I give him a lot of credit for having the courage and the foresight to see that if we're going to be a major force for good and for change in American medicine, that we need strong partnerships and collaborative efforts from multiple parts of the healthcare community. Now that is an important message, um, and uh, it sounds like you're establishing those partnerships. And um, I, you know, again, I applaud you for that work as well. You know, I'm gonna again. I, I want to thank you so much, and and for sticking through this uh, dialogue with the laryngitis that you have. You're doing a great job, by the way. Um, what? Uh, just a couple of closing questions, and I'll I'll give you an opportunity. If there's anything else you'd like to to say. What was the, I, I asked this question of, of all the guests I have on the show, what was the best piece of advice you were ever given? Best piece of advice and the thing that I live by is very simple. If you're considering doing something and you wouldn't want it published on the front page of the New York Times, don't do it. And who gave you that advice? I think my father. Wow, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I found it a good metric. You know, if, if you're considering something and you wouldn't want people to know that you did it or said it, don't do it and don't say it. Thank you. Uh, so is there, is there any, any final message, um, any sort of takeaway call to action you want to leave uh, our listeners with today? Yes, there is. People have... A lot of physicians have misconceptions about what the AMA was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Or people had an issue that the majority of the doctors who set the health policy for the AMA didn't agree with. And they focus on what we have that are differences. Every specialty sees things a little differently. Every community is a little different. Every patient is a little different. What the AMA does is we focus on those things that all doctors have in common and that all patients need us to have in common. 
We need to learn as a community of physicians to agree to disagree on certain things and agree to focus on those major overarching things of importance that bring us together. If we want a healthcare system that works for physicians, which means it will work for patients, then we have to come together and focus on the big picture and work together as a unit. And if we can do that, we can create a healthcare system for our country that will be the rival of none. Bravo. Thank you. That is really an inspiring message, and I one I completely uh, agree with and support. You're welcome. Um, so, Dr. McEnany, I, I want to sincerely thank you for being part of creating a new healthcare podcast and, and bringing us really, really fresh perspectives and, and you know, new ideas and truly bold solutions. And I, I also want to just thank you again for the amazing integrity and service uh, you've given throughout your career to uh, all the communities uh, uh, that you come in contact with and, and including the national community. Um, it, it's really, again, it is inspiring and it's a great, great example. And uh, I know you're super humble and uh, I, 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 I don't, uh, I haven't met and haven't spoken to your colleagues at the AMA like Dr. Madara, but uh, from everything I've read, um, uh, you know, I would agree with you. Uh, other leaders are just also just brilliant and, and your focus and that direction that he's taken you all in is, is fantastic. So thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, I've learned a ton in the last uh, couple of weeks, really uh, uh, going online and reading about the AMA, and I would encourage others to do the same. If you haven't in a while, it is uh, really worth it. Um, and so again, just uh, just want to say that. And and of course, and I think Dr. McEnany, that I, I have this message at the end of every podcast because I, I really believe in it, but particularly with you on, on, on the call here, uh, I think it'll resonate that um, I, I want to thank all our listeners uh, who, who are out there, especially those who are doing the hard work each and every day, uh, taking care of patients, and also those of you who are supporting uh, the providers who are taking care of patients. Um, I hope this has been uh, as, as, as catalyzing and inspiring and encouraging for you as uh, as it has been for me. So so again, thank you to listeners and, and, and uh, Dr. McEnany, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for inviting me to participate. It's been a great honor. And I, I share your encouragement of people to go to our website and see what the AMA is doing. And more importantly, come join us. We're doing remarkable things. Great. And on that note, um, Dr. McEnany, I do hope, I really hope that um, we have an opportunity to talk again uh, on this podcast sometime uh, in the next year. It would be my great honor. And maybe my voice won't sound like I'm through one of those machines <laughs> in the witness protection program. Well, I definitely, I definitely want to have an opportunity to hear your voice uh, again. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.